0: Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk Well, it seems quite... This is actually the fourth message of Corinthians, three verses in, so... uh this section here at the beginning of Corinthians, it's the same heading, it's a two-part, it's the same heading as last week, Choosing the Saints, United uh, By Grace as the subheading and uh, where we're at here and just, you no, know, as I studied this, you're thinking, you no, know, it's a welcome, it's a prayer and you think, you no, know, you could really just, you think you look at scripture and you go, well, we could just skip through this, it's a welcome note. It's just a welcome note. What's that? What's in that? And it's not until you study it and start looking at it in depth that you realise it's God's breathed word. So even God's hello has got depth. <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. No, God doesn't say hello nonchalantly. Even his hello and his welcome as God breathed word. Has such depth to uh, the context and the content of what's in it. And we will close this. Uh, this this is the introduction. The Paul's opening prayer. Uh, we'll close this this morning and I said last week that, you know, you better holding on to your heart because it, it doesn't get any better than this. This is, this is softening you in. And see, to be honest with you, even the welcome's not even that easy, uh, to be honest with you when you look at it. But as we get into it, starting next week, Paul really starts opening up to The church in Corinth, as he writes to them, spends the first seven chapters not even addressing the letter and the complaint and what was wrote to him, but he already knows what's going on in the hearts and the people in Corinth and therefore he he addresses predominantly throughout the letter their behaviour and in regards to their behaviour towards how they're changing the gospel as it were let's just read the first few verses 1 corinthians 1 to 3 then i'll just mention a few things and then we'll read the other six verses where we'll be spending most of our time this morning paul called to be an apostle of jesus christ through the will of god and so stands our brother to the church of god which is at corinth to those who are sanctified in christ jesus called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God uh, for his reading the word this morning or at least this part. And we mentioned here that this letter is, is wrote to the church in Corinth, but not just to them, but all believers in mind. The word is the same today tomorrow and forever and instruction none more so than in the church in corinth which is no more like the church of the 21st century in the west than any you could ever imagine it's so similar in how it thinks how it processes stuff how it deals with stuff uh, the only difference is the geography but everything else is the same so paul as we said last week is establishing who his authority has come from he hasn't self-selected himself, he has been chosen by God as an apostle, and they are joined as saints, as one who have all been saved and called by God, as are all believers. Calvin writes that Paul's meaning is, as you have been called to holiness, to be called uh, as saints, is to be called to a life of holiness. Uh, we said uh, last week of all of Paul's wisdom, all his instruction, is addressing almost completely the behaviour of them in the church and in particular, how they are recreating the gospel, which in turn has given them no defence against the flesh taking over their lives and the world then in turn saturating the church with their beliefs and values. I said this last week, all Paul's wisdom and knowledge does not come from himself, but from lining up everything to the word the church in Corinth was starting to add its own slant to the gospel and starting to shape the church by the wisdom of man which in turn was weakening all the defenses to withstand the desires of the flesh we have no defense against our flesh without standing on God's word none whatsoever everything like in Corinth was melding together As we mentioned in the early introduction, in Corinth, the Romans and the Greeks and the the, the, the Egyptians, they all started melding together. To the point of view, you couldn't even tell the difference between a Roman and a Greek. Romans would be clean-shaven, sharp, Uh, Greeks were a bit more rugged. Uh, But what happened is the Romans were all melding into together and the the Greeks, so you could hardly tell the difference. What was starting to happen in the church, it was the same. You couldn't tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. That's what was starting to happen even in the church. Uh, Yes, the church was in the world to win the world. But they were becoming largely no different from the world. Like the rest of Corinth, as we we mentioned. Leon Morris put it this way. uh, The church was in the world as it had to be. But the world was in the church as it ought not to be. End quote. So even from the offset here Paul is reminding and once again trying to re-establish the unity and purpose and centrality of the gospel and what they stand on and whom they are joined to and joined by. Uh, let me read the following six verses. This is where we'll spend the rest of the time. This is Paul's open, welcome, open, hello, open prayer if you like. So verse 49, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ god is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord amen and that is paul's kind of opening words before he then starts addressing the situation paul is letting the corinthian church know that it was by grace alone that they were saved meaning it was not by any work done He does not start with harsh words. I think that's important to establish. He doesn't start with any harsh words. Even though he's going to be harsh, he's going to be challenging. But he doesn't start there because that's not his heart. His heart and his spirit is not to hurt or offend. It's to bring them into unity. Uh, So he doesn't start with harsh words, but he starts with telling them how much he thinks of them and how often he prays for them. Listen to this in verse 4. I thank my God always, concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Meaning, they're not a sight out of mind. Paul has now moved on from the church in Corinth. He's writing here from Ephesus. He's probably about three years round about, further down the line since, since he was pastor there. But the people are not out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And therefore we must be ever reminded and grateful for them whom the Lord has joined us with. Uh, This is why we must spend time praying. Uh, Why we must spend time praying and reminding ourselves of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as reminding us of them. It will strengthen both our faith and our heart also. But it also will stop negativity and worldliness calling the shots about how you feel towards fellow brothers or sisters at any given point especially when they're not acting like one notice that Paul here for three years is known there's no revelation to him he did not need the letter from the household of Chloe to know that all was not well in Corinth he knew they were going rogue he knew that different things were happening in their life but notice how he starts saying I always I'm always praying I'm always grateful that God has saved you by his grace and he's starting in a good spirit towards the people regardless and and show me a resentful brother or sister towards his own and I'll show you one who isn't praying for them. Uh, I'll show you one who's stopped praying and I'll show you one who's forgot that they're joined together with them in Christ. Paul's heart for them, his love for them and his unity with them has no changed due to their actions. This is a challenge and when you look at this verse, in verse 4 you think there's nothing much in that, isn't there no? That's what I thought when I read it as well. I thought there's nothing much in that. Verse 4, I'll zip through this in no time. I'll need to go straight to verse 10 this morning. No, that's what I was thinking. And then I read that and I go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. How how much is in that verse 4? I could spend the whole rest of this. I won't. But I could spend a week or two weeks in verse 4 in this. And it sounds like hallow. It, it does. But notice how Paul is not changed. And this is the challenge, I don't know, maybe it's not a challenge to you, it was certainly a challenge to me. And how my attitude can change towards my brothers and sisters based on their behaviour. Notice how Paul's attitude towards his brothers and sisters, his love towards them, his care towards them and his devotion towards them. And what he wants them to become and receive and how he feels united in them as one. Notice how it's no change based on their behaviour. Let's ask yourself the question. We love questions here. How often does your behaviour change towards people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, when they're no behaving like Christ? When in truth is, so in, in effect, we don't behave like Christ towards them who are no behaving like Christ. That's what really is happening. So nothing, so Paul has not changed due to their actions. When they were wandering, Paul was praying. When they were criticising them, Paul was being like Christ towards them. Paul was praying for them. When they were dissing his message, Paul was thinking and praying for them. He tells us that right at the start. Regardless of what was going on in them, he didn't have unchrist-like character and unchrist-like principles towards them. Paul's foundation and stance didn't change. Therefore, based on the behaviour of others, this may be no seem much but this is a challenge I believe. Well, it, 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 I, I found that a challenge. When our brothers are not acting like believers, the last thing they need is for us to not act like believers towards them. And if you ask yourself in any moments, when your brother's not acting like a believer, how much are we acting like believers towards them who are not acting like believers? And if I look at my life and maybe we're all different, I spend time with people as a pastor, people, no, it's a challenge that you know I have to maintain Christ like principles, values, love, nurture, grace when they're no. How many of us are un Christ like when correcting and criticizing people for being un like <laughs> It's very unchristian, <laughs> isn't it? So that's no very Christian the way you're criticizing them for being unchristian. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? When we are joined by Christ we must what, pray for others, pray for our brothers and sisters. It's what reminds us of our purpose and why we're joined together. It's what keeps us humble and reminds us of God's grace upon us all. You no, know, I know the women were teaching uh, this week as they have been through the Beatitudes and I know they're been truly, truly blessed by that. I think it's a vital thing that, that these are doing. Uh, it's, it's as vital as this to me for the women, it really is. Uh, and one of the things that is, no, I no, was no, speaking to Vicky about this, no, persecution, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, is is when, when your footing is on, you're saved by grace alone, not by works that you may boast, you know. And we were doing the persecuting of Christ at one point. We were the ones doing the persecuting. Then what a privilege it is, it is for us that we would be persecuted because we're defending them, I mean is there such a privilege really? Paul thanked God always for the salvation, that's where he starts, thanks God always for the salvation, this verse as I says may be easily skipped and read over, uh, but really Paul in his opening words here is saying, I'm no losing who I am in Christ, And I'm not thinking you, thinking of you, in a non-Christian way, because you're not behaving like a Christian. And if we ask ourselves, do we do that? Never mind to just believe. How how un-Christian are we towards, think about this, how un-Christian are we towards unbelievers when they're not behaving like Christians? I mean, they can't even behave like Christians. We're not even Christian towards them as no behaving like Christians. I've seen some, I've seen some, in the name of love, we know a lot of love. To be honest with you I've seen a whole lot in the name of love without the name of love and Paul thanked God always for the salvation and this is what makes God's word so powerful that even in the very welcome of the letter it's a challenge if you read verse 4 you're thinking I, I don't see anything in that that would challenge me yet as soon as you start reading it you go my goodness, he's thanking God always for their salvation, even though they're gone rogue. And then as I start reading that, I'm like, oh, I've got a way to go. I'm, I'm at verse four here and I'm, 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 I need help. And long before we argue over doctrine and the differences, we must be reminded of our common union. Long before. Long before Paul starts to get into the depth He's not endorsing their behaviour in any way. He's reminding them and himself, as that matter, keeping his heart right that why they are joined together. And long before we argue over doctrine and differences, we must be reminded of our common union. I've seen a lot of people a lot of apologetics and a lot of people arguing with other believers, including myself at times, arguing with other believers, with not a lot of grace and love and forgetting about the common bond, that we have with one another. We're not talking about arguing with false teachers here, we're just talking with brothers that's near, and that should always be a protocol first. We're first united as one in Christ, before we start debating about what we don't agree on. And we could be reminded of this, and I'm sure if we're challenged, especially you as a who are who do debate a bit more, I think you can all challenge yourself to say, you know what, uh, is that my is that my foundation before I even got off the starting blocks? You know, have I forgot that we're joined as Christ before I go about rogue? I've debated with loads of people over the years. And I remember debating with somebody, you know, back and forward with emails, you no know, I think it was this year. We didn't agree that you keep it civil and you keep it no, you remember like I'm not presuming that they're no saved here's the problem is is you just Paul's no saying here yeah, I'm presuming you're no saved right away so I'm just going to go down the unsaved road with you right away you're not presuming that so he knows they're in error and they've went rogue and they're drifting away and there might be many who are not saved but he's not starting with that point of view I remember debating and no <laughs> At the, end of the, at the end of the debate that we were hitting back and forward in emails, I remember the brother in Christ says to me, he says, have a wonderful Sunday with the Lord, brother. Oh that's what I said. Didn't he agree with anything, he said. But we agreed with that. <laughs> and that's where it starts. And that's a sign of maturity. See, if you don't know, it's very immature, really. It's, it's a real immaturity that you can't even at least establish that first. And Paul's no praising name no praising them he's reminding them and indeed all of us that it's Jesus who is the one who has given them life even if they seem to have forgot it Paul continues verse 5 that you were enriched in everything in him in all utterance and all knowledge Paul again is really reminding them that nothing they done saved them you go remember that in the church in Corinth what they're doing is, is they're nugging into man-made philosophies ideas that was all around Corinth, as it was in Ephesus and that stuff, as it was in Athens, just 50 miles away, you know, with the Epicureans and the, and the Stoics. The, 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 they wanted knowledge and what was happening in Corinth is, is that they were starting to adapt, as we said, the gospel to suit their own leanings in the flesh. And Paul is reminding them, nothing was done by you. This is an important point here, and, and again, it can seem just easy to miss. If, God no, if, if you've done nothing for your salvation, what makes you think your knowledge can bring you sanctification? Isn't that crazy? So the, the, if you think of the modern church, no, much of the modern church, they get saved, even if some of them do, they know they're, most of them are many and they think it's, they, they made the choice to get saved. But even, even the ones that don't, if we've been chosen and selected by God and been saved by grace alone, then why does the church then continue to go along the road where they think everything they do after that's about them? If I couldn't get saved on moon, what makes me think I can get well on mourn? Seriously. Paul again is really reminding them that nothing that they've done saved them, therefore nothing they will do will be anywhere able to do what Jesus has done for them and will continue to do for them. Paul reminds them of the gift of revelation that they was given. They did not attain that gift they did not work on that gift you ever want to read any about that stuff read John Calvin where he talks about that if anybody could have get saved by knowledge and understanding and devotion John Calvin was as devoted to study before he got saved as he was after he got saved but it never got him saved They did not work for that gift, they did not decide to have it. It was the work and the choosing of the Lord, and this is the important back here. And he done it all through the preaching of the word that they heard for Paul. It's vital we preach the word. It's where the gift of salvation is wrapped up in. The gift of salvation is wrapped up in the preaching of the word. No, somebody says, no I get saved and I never heard the word, or how could you get saved, you never heard anything about Jesus, you never knew you died, in a cr- no I get saved eating a packet of cheese and onion, thinking about darts, no you never, no. No. you get saved because you heard the gospel, and you're, you had a revelation of who Jesus was, and it came through the preaching of the word, at some point or another, it came through the preaching of the word, this is what's harmed and this is what Paul again and this is what's reminding us here right this opening gambit that we have learned to step aside and outside the word to evangelise. We are, because we are so ashamed of the gospel that we have so stepped outside the word to evangelise. Most people's evangelism now is not preaching the word. Most people's evangelism now is good deeds. I know but but listen that's that's a, ch- a charity can do that you know I mean you don't need to go then you know I mean just just send a UNICEF just UNICEF can do that UNICEF's a non-Christian organisation right so just send UNICEF because they do good works just send the Red Cross Pfft, they're really gone rogue now but just send them at one point was a Christian organisation and what's happened is we've learned to step outside the world so much to evangelize because we're so conscious of people and their reaction that we became unconscious of the Holy Spirit who works through us to share the word if you look at these first nine verses here in debt, spend more time go away and read them yourself you'll see that Paul lays throughout and actually lays throughout the whole lot as we talked about last week it's the sharing of the word, it's the sharing of the word that the Holy Spirit then reached the people where it led to salvation, that's 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 the whole crux, that's the whole crux of the gospel. Notice that at no point does Paul mention any salvation that came through wee stories he told when he was a wee boy, you notice that? You remember when I shared with you when I was a wee boy, when I was on that bike, oh the Lord. If you look at modern evangelism today, it's everything but the gospel this year. Everything but the gospel. Wee stories. This is what he tells them in verse 6. Just in case you're wondering. Where does it, where is it specifically saying this in scripture? Here, it's exactly here. Verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ. So who shared the testimony of Christ? Paul. Paul shared the testimony of Christ. I heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones saying this years ago. Totally agree. And he says, we've overemphasized our own testimony in church and underemphasized the testimony of Christ. Evangelism has became about our story and Noah's story. Yes, we overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of our story. I, I get that. I get that we share our testimony. But see when our testimony becomes, I've been to these evangelist events and it's all their story and not Jesus. And see when it's all their story and not Jesus, it creates emotionalism within the body and people respond at the end. People respond at the end, but they're not responding to the gospel. Why would Jesus evangelise a different Jesus to your heart? Think about that. Just let that land. Why would Jesus paint a picture of a different Jesus so that you would believe and get saved? Surely if he wants you to get saved, he wants you to believe in who he is. No believing, no believe... And the wee ex-alcoholic who's got a wee great story. He'd been drunk in a nightclub one time. And we're ashamed of the gospel. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, Paul preached the word. Paul preached the gospel. Paul brought the message that he was told to bring as an apostle. He preached the word. And that word was then confirmed in name. And that's what brought salvation. I know it's no rocket science in it no, but we seem to have missed it. Paul preached Christ. Know his ain't wee stories. Know his own interpretation of the gospel. Hoping to hook somebody who doesn't quite know Jesus. See if you don't know Jesus, do you know who I need you to know? Jesus. Okay? If you don't know Jesus, I need you to know Jesus. Because the power's in Christ and his story. No my interpretation of Jesus who gives you a false Jesus which creates false converts. The accurate gospel Paul saying when I came to you and yeah, we'll get into this in the next chapter I didn't come with elegance of speech. I didn't come with my own idea. I came, I resolved to know nothing when I was amongst you except Christ and him crucified. That's my wallpaper and my phone. It's my favourite scripture of the day. <laughs> I resolved to know nothing when I was amongst you except Christ and Him crucified. What, what got you saved was that I preached the word and the Holy Spirit through the Theonanostes, the God-breathed word, spoke into your heart. That's what illuminated and that was it. It was no Paul's preaching that got him saved. It's the, it's the means in which God illuminates the heart. It doesn't he otherwise, you know, you can get these events. We used to have them, you get them all we've got this guest speaker. Some of these get some story. Honestly. And then he would come and share stories, nonsense for hilarious stories, and people and then he would say at the end, you know, Jesus will know, come through the door, no, he's a gentleman. No that nonsense. And then people respond. And every time they travel, you know who we're talking about here. Right? Every time they travel, they go to the same churches because they get invited back the next year and they're always like 17 responded every year there's 17 responded 18 responded, 22 responded 22, 30, whatever it's it's usually nearly always high double figures where people respond and then you go to the church over the next 5 years and it's the same size I'm like where are they? if there were 20 people keep responding every year and you've been gone for 5 years surely the church should have 100 Okay, let's just say 80 some people have fell away. Okay? You're no far away if you get saved. You can't fall away if you get saved, by the way, just to let you know, and we'll mention that at the end. You can't fall away if you don't get saved. You might have struggled, but you can't fall away. Well, God don't know lose any of his own. It's because the gospel wasn't getting preached. And they've been saved into another gospel, which is not the gospel at all. It was a response to a story that was good because Jesus is now really relatable to them. It's not the effectual call. It's not the effectual call. It's the outward call. And there's an outward call in our life and there's the effectual call. The outward call in our life is what most people hear when they hear a social gospel message. The effectual call is nothing to do with you. It's what, it's what you receive and what you're illuminated by, by the preaching of the word that the Holy Spirit then attaches itself to and speaks right into the deepest recesses of your heart. Boom. That's how we get saved. Now, I understand that some of you might say, well, I've got different experience and I really wasn't, was the gospel. You would have heard some sort of gospel message. You've heard the gospel message. Okay, it's the gospel message you got you saved. Why would the Lord save people through a misrepresentation of who he is? If people confess their faith through another means, salvation is no just no certain. It's highly unlikely. Yes, God can use all things, but ask why he would use a false gospel to move in people's life to reveal who he is. Why would he do that? Wrong gospel equals wrong revelation of who he is. I've seen a post yesterday and somebody, uh, I think it was Tom Askell that wrote a post about, no, we've got something made more sure. We have the word made more sure the gospel written the the God breathed word written and somebody says I know God loves me because he told me one morning that's what somebody wrote and he says you can't tell me never because I know what I experienced and I says I've experienced I says every believer's experience as well we can keep experiencing it I says just flick right through your bible this is what I wrote to the guy and I was saying it I says just flick through the bible and you'll hear loads of times about how many times God loves you I says, and you'll no need to rely on your experience, you can rely on the word. Yeah. I says, because your experience is, here today, gone tomorrow, it could have been based on how you felt. Somebody wrote this back to me. <laughs> just, and you don't get into a debate here, because you just go, you're on your own, I'll lose an end here. They turn around and says, that's stupid. I don't know what to call it. That's the stupid thing I've ever heard, mate. He says, that's like saying, that, was saying, that's like saying you only need a letter for your wife to say she loves you and you never take her for a meal okay <laughs> how do you answer that this is somebody that just does not believe in the word and the power of the word and the power of the gospel wrong gospel wrong gospel is wrong revelation of who he is it's that simple Paul didn't come with elegance of words I resolved to know nothing was amongst you except Christ and Christ crucified. Let me tell you how you know a false convert. Want to know how the best way to define a false convert? Know they've got bad behaviour. Because we've all got bad behaviour then and we're all in trouble. You don't, you cannot recognise particularly a false convert because of their behaviour. This is how you recognise a false convert. Their view of Christ. Usually they have this, we were on a job a few months ago, maybe last year, and the guy said he was an elder in church, so Calm's ears are pricked up. he's like, oh, that's great, starts talking to the guy. And the guys, the guy's like, aye, me, when I got there, me and the big man. Me and the big man, be. And, and, and this is what, he did say this, I, I nearly, I did nearly choke my penguin, that he gave. Uh, he said, uh, he said this, he says, uh, he wait, Once I get up there, when I see the golf courses, they will be up there. I says, hey, How? I says, there, there's no golf courses in heaven, you don't to play golf in heaven. Why? You try to tell me all the folk that died that are into golf, they will no get again. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and do you know what you realise? Do you know what you realise? That guy's no saved. There's no way that guy's saved because he's got a total wrong philosophy and idea and understanding who Christ is. He's no Lord. And the reason he's got the false, the wrong idea of who Christ is, is because he's been presented the gospel wrong and he's probably accepted and think he's saved. No. So, m- many Roman Catholics. Now so the argument is, Did I think every Roman Catholic's no saved? No, I don't believe every Roman Catholic's no saved. I believe most aren't. But I believe there'll be Roman Catholics saved because i will have the right view of Christ the problem is, the problem is is the papacy in in Rome have sabotaged it and made listen, Mary's no listening to your prayer alright see if you're a Catholic and you're listening here either here this morning live or online Mary's no listening to your prayer alright Mary's getting prayer All right. Mary needs as much prayer Mary needs as much prayer for salvation as you do okay (laughs) No, stop giving Mary a hard time. Stop making her some. she's no, it's no fair on her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, and it's the wrong gospel. And it's the wrong message and you, pre, you, pre, why would Jesus present himself wrongly? No, when we're fake, right, okay? When we're fake, we present ourselves wrongly to people, didn't we? Because you're trying to present yourself with somebody you know, and then eventually they realise, that's the Incredible Hulk locked up inside Dr David Banner, right, eventually when you find out you're, who you're and you you and T.J. Jake said this and terrible, I'm not, don't endorse him in any way, but in fact I'm going to stop you even use him as a thing, but this, this is what he says, he says people don't, people don't date, people don't date you, they date the representative of you, they don't see the real you Months later, because you present yourself with somebody, I was on holiday years ago, In a place called Club Las Velas in Mexico. And sees you walk through the gates of the the hotel. This is what it says. You're on vacation and nobody knows you. I thought "Yeah, beauty. Walter Mitty, here he comes. I could be him to who I want, you know. (laughs) You present Christ wrong. You present Christ wrong, you have a wrong definition of Christ. This is why Paul is saying this. So modern evangelism prevents a false gospel. That people respond to. How many Roman Catholics think they're saved? Yet know not the Lord. Because they've never truly heard the Gospel. Brothers and sisters, honestly, there is no point in sitting in this church and saying you love sitting under the Word and the true Word. Only to use another means other than this Word to try and one's souls. Why do we sit under this Word and claim to love the Word, claim to stand in the Word, claim to believe that the Word is powerful? Stronger than any double-edged sword. Why do we stand on the word in this church? Yet when collectively and individually, when we leave here and we meet people, we seem to evangelize a different message. Ought not to be. It's the preaching of the word. Use are not a means to win souls. It tells us what? We're ashamed of the gospel or were allowed people, and what Paul's reminding the church in Corinth is, I'm going to remember, what was happening in Corinth, a lot of people were coming to the church just as observers, it's like a night out. It's a bit like, it's a bit like when you've got a guest evangelist coming to the modern church, and you go, do you want to come to this? He'll crack you up. You know you 'cause you're ashamed of the gospel. You're not really wanting me hear the gospel. You're ashamed of the you're, you're ashamed of hearing me the real gospel. Think about this. See when you were a see when you were a social Christian, how much easier was it to, have, to invite people to a social Christian event than it was a prayer meeting? <laughs> try and invite somebody to your prayer meeting. You should invite unsafe people to your prayer meeting. Yeah? But try and invite we don't invite on people to prayer meetings. You invite them make, you, invite, you invite them to coffee mornings. And I invited me something different. So why are we ashamed of the gospel? In Corinth, that's what they were doing. In fact, it would be not uncommon in Corinth for people to come into the church and just be there. Not really. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm not really into it. Just want to see what's going on here. And that. That's what you're We used to have free giveaway stuff. I remember one of the worst ones we ever done was getting school uniforms away. The queue was on the door. Oh, and you can you can believe yourself that that's oh, church is buzzing. Ah, oh, he's buzzing with folk coming. to takes school uniforms. Folk were queuing up, and they were just grabbing them and off. They, they, they couldn't go quick enough. But we were the we were the we were the feet of Christ. Not a gospel in sight. To the point of view that see years later. You weren't known as the church that preaches the gospel, you were known as the church where you get freebies. In Corinth they had people coming into the church and observing the message. And the problem was because they weren't preaching the message in the church, they were hearing another message. And all the while these people were being either converted. For them in the church was starting to embrace the world and starting to adapt the message to suit their leanings and what they could handle. The problem with evangelism the day is, is that we, we change the gospel to suit where people are at. They're no happy, I better change it, let's tell a funny wee story, I better change it, they're no happy, let's make it, let's make it about something else, let's give them a pizza. What we're seeing throughout the UK and the world is a modern, seeker-friendly church imploded. You, know you know the fastest imploding church today is the modern, seeker-friendly church has totally imploded in the last two years. And the reason it's imploded, I'll, I'll, I'll make its comeback again, innit? I'll, the social Christians will come back. It's making its comeback, but it's slow progress. And the reason, the reason it's imploded, you'll be lucky. One of the churches that we connected to would have about 3,000 people in at one point It's probably knowing you get 500 now Maybe less, that's not a pretty big church but That's some imploding in it And it's probably even got less than that You go and look at their website and you look at who the people are on the, the, the staff And you don't recognise any of the people, they don't exist anymore And the problem was, is that what, what message they taught when they could open Was what sustained the people but when they couldn't come and meet collectively as a group and they their social Christian Starbucks coffee shop style stuff, experience that they had there was nothing to sustain the people because they couldn't have that type of message because the church wasn't open to have that type of message and that type of experience, there were no lasers there's only so much you can pretend to have lasers when you're online or, or have motivational, it doesn't work so what happened is, they had to go online and do the message, and what's happened is, it's dissipated. Then the church is opened again, they've no come back. Because it wasn't the gospel that sustained them in the first place. It was, it was, it was the leanings and the slant in the gospel that brought them there in the first place. And Paul has reminded them in the church in Corinth. We have to stand, this is what saved you. This is what so sustained you. And this is therefore what you need to bring. To other people the services is full of social believers in this the modern seeker friendly church and then when the candidates you no, know, they all bowed to the government as they would because they're, they're hired hands they all bowed to the government and then their churches dissipated, but they reinvent themselves. They don't look at God, they never look and go, there's something wrong with the gospel. It's like the church in Corinth. The, the church in Corinth never went, we're the problem here. The church in Corinth reinvents itself. So, what does the modern, seeker friendly, mega church do? It, it, it says it's a move of God that's moving us to community. Nonsense was not moving your community. It's not nothing of the kind. The church is the same today, tomorrow and forever. We build it the same way. We've not changed anyway how you build church. How have you, I, I was getting an interview and someone says, how have you changed to adapt to COVID? I said, No change at all. Not one bit. It's the same message. It's the same gospel. And it's the same blueprint. So rather than deal with the failure, we just say they're reinventing. No, you're not reinventing. Your church is imploded. <laughs> and you're pretending you're reinventing because you can't deal with the thought that it's imploded. Verse 79. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom we are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, as Paul continues. Also note, Paul is also saying all they need and all they have is already in Christ who has gave them salvation. I've already touched on this, but I'll open up a bit more. The most simple yet tragic thing in the modern church, and here what was happening in Corinth, and you see it in the charismatic church, is that Jesus is saved us by grace, by his doing, by the preaching of the word. Yet the church think growth and sanctification is by a means outside Christ and his word. And the, pro- the reason they think that, that sanctification, growth, success, success, I, I, I replied to somebody this week and they're, they're doing a new message. It was, I can't even remember the out of context scripture that they used. But it was frighteningly, I just wrote a reply and it says, frighteningly out of context scripture. That's what I wrote, it seems quite harsh, but I knew the person who wrote it and I knew who would read it and I knew that would be enough. And it was the crazy scripture. Can you remember the scripture? is I think I spoke to you about it 2 Peter wasn't it? What was that line? Can't even remember it, it's 2 Peter anyway The whole series that they're doing is called Success Oh my goodness Success, what are you talking about success? I don't know about you I, I, My life is no about getting, becoming more successful It's becoming more empty So that I can, he can be filled with I'm not becoming more successful I'm becoming more hopeless that's good see if you keep on thinking you're going to become successful and then you keep on failing where do you go with that stuff can't remember the scripture go and tell me we have everything pertaining to life and godliness right That's, that's, that's the scripture and the whole series is going to be on success Everything pertaining to life and godliness in the word is to make me more like Christ so that I serve Christ. No, he make me more successful in my desires. And what's happening is, is that, so people have been saved by grace, if they have, indeed they have. But then, the growth comes through another means. Paul then says, the Jesus who saved you is also who sustains you. You know the Jesus who sustained the Jesus who saved you is who sustained you. It's no Jesus saves you and modern psychology sustains you. It's no Jesus saves you and positive thinking sustains you. It's no Jesus saves you and something else makes you successful. See if you're a true believer, success is the furthest thing for your mind. The only thing that we should be trying to succeed in is pleasing God. We need to stop rejecting the word. So many reject the truth of the word as it offends them and challenges them. The word does not challenge your spirit. Okay? So this is why you should not be offended when the word's preached. Ouchie, fine. Too many so-called believers are so offended. Oh, they said that to me and I'm I'm raging. Really? Really? The word does not ever attack your spirit. The word wars against what? The flesh. The word is warring against the flesh, not the spirit. The word is your ally. Not your enemy. The word does not challenge your spirit, it challenges your flesh. The word is at war with your flesh. To be offended by the word is to say, I want to keep on living in the flesh well I was really offended by what you said Pastor Matt alright because you couldn't get in living, living the world worldly life that you wanted that's what it's to say because the word is no here to you attack your flesh eh, your spirit in any way whatsoever it's here to complement your spirit it's there to grow your spirit it's there to ignite your godly life it's there to equip you for godliness therefore it's only ever going to attack your flesh so therefore, for you to be offended by the word, for you to be offended by the word they're saying, I don't want to change. Is what it's to say. And over the years and no, maybe more so now, I've struggled more and more to comprehend a believer who takes resentments when the truth is told to him. I don't know. I, I think the more mature you go, I'm delighted. I'm no saying I'm cartwheeling when I hear it at first. But there's a deep joy because I'm going. That's good. Thank God I'm not the one that has to beat my flesh. <laughs> That's what I'm... Thank God that God's gave us the word to beat our flesh and no me. See if I was left to me, be, beat my flesh. My flesh would win every time. Would yours? Why is some of you saying? I'm sure, you're no one here. Why is some of you so offended by the word when it gets spoke to you? Is that no, is that no, all the evidence that you need for a lack of reverence and a desire for holiness? That you're actually, I'm not offended by the word preached. My flesh is offended by the word preached. Then people will say this to justify it. It was the wit they said, it's how they said it. All right, here we go. All right, okay. Believers who take resentments against truth the truth of the word which is warring against what it's warring against your flesh you should be delighted you've got an ally surely that for, that's why it tells us that we have to receive the word with gladness the same word that illuminated you that brought you from death to life that brought you brought you from a sinner to a saint that brought you from a wretch to righteousness is the same word that's making you holy. Why would you not want it? It's the same word that will lead you and sustain you until Christ's return. The message that sanctifies Paul is the only message that he preached that will sanctify them. Paul, nothing else sanctified Paul Nothing else led Paul to be more like, who's more like Christ than Paul? Nobody. You could argue, but there's nobody more like Christ than Paul. So when Paul's through his word and through the the scripture is teaching a message and you go, I don't really like what Paul says. What you're actually saying is I don't want to be an unlike Jesus. Because what did Paul say? Imitate. As I, as I imitate Christ. So to reject that is to say, I don't want to be anything like Jesus. All division in church, you remember there's a massive division problem. All division in church, all division in church, at its root, is caused by people pursuing things outside Christ. All division. Whether it's corporate division or individual rebellious behaviour if you're pursuing man flesh approval acceptance and not Christ you will always find yourself in those times out of sorts with the church and them in it who are pursuing righteousness Paul is saying we've got, this is what we've got in common we're all in one in Christ pursuing righteousness if you're divided it's because you're pursuing something else over the years, I've had countless conversations with people who say, "This is this is the one." I just feel like an outsider in here. I don't feel as if I fit in. You know, I, I I'm no in with the crowd. I don't feel as if I fit in. If I dare say, and used to put your hand up, you be like, "I felt like that before." When 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 we'll just explain why you feel like that. Okay, do, because what happens is if you don't capture why you feel that, like, you'll do it at the Corinthian Church day and you'll blame it on name. So if have had countless conversations, if you feel an outsider. I just feel as if I don't quite fit into that church. Heard it. I don't connect with everybody. No, I just feel... I, I don't really, I don't really bond with people. It's just kind of the, the common thread. Use your own language, permutation. And he, he, here's a statement. It's not 50% of the time. It's no 60% of the time, it's 70% of the time, it's 100% of the time and it's 100% of the case that they're no pursuing righteousness. It's that something else has become their focus. Another statement is this, well they're all close and I feel I'm no close. anys ever thought that? Ah they feel all close, I'm no close. I feel I'm no in the clique. Listen. See in the true church, there's no such a thing as a clique. There's them who are pursuing righteousness in the name of Arna. The problem is, is them that aren't, think them that are, are a clique. They're no a clique, they're just at the one in Christ. Ah, they're, 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 they're the cliquey crowd. Listen, there is churches that's got that, but none of them are pursuing Christ. <laughs> I'm not the clique. A true church that preaches the word doesn't have cliques. They have the devoted and the undevoted, that's it. Ah, that that wee clique, ah, you go to get in with the right crowd. Ah, That's in the modern pragmatic church, that's what happens, you go to be in with the in crowd and do that sort of thing, but they're not preaching the word. Cliques and division, which was happening here in Corinth, is born in the flesh, not in the unity of pursuing righteousness. Them who pursue righteousness and hold to the word. They're not in cliques. This is what they're in. Fellowship. That's what they're in. Fellowship. It's when you're not pursuing righteousness. Or when we're not pursuing righteousness. We convert it. To that. It's them that are pursuing. And being sustained outside the word that's in the clique <laughs> You notice that It's no name It's in the word that's got in a clique or in a, or in a division it's that's outside that's in a clique or division one of the reasons the world always thinks the church is a cult is they hate the thought of people being of the same mind <laughs> this is classic this is classic cult statement behaviour no got a mind of you, your end actually correct no I don't Correct. I don't have a mendy men. I've got the mind the same as you, it's in Christ. Aye, no got a mind of your own. Yes, man, are you? I'm a yes man, I you're a no man. That's how you think that's how you think we're in a cult. <laughs> it's no yes men, it's in cults, it's no men. It's in cults. Yes, men are no in cults. Yes, men are in fellowship with Christ. It's no men that are in cults. It's worth its weight in gold, that, not it? You wouldn't believe that was in this, I know you, Is that in there? It is, this is what it's saying. What always thinks the church is a cult is the hate of people being of the same mind. This is the swan song, tell me what to do now aye. Tell me what, to, tell me how to spend my money now aye. It's not your money, it's my money. Oh, don't fit in there, don't fit in there, I just don't fit in there. We, we know you don't fit in. You're of your own mind. That's why you don't fit in. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do with my life. Start and tell me what to do with my life. Tell me what I should do. Tell me how to live. Pfft, nobody tell me how to live. You're right. Well, nobody telling you how to live. That's how you're leaving. That's how they define cult. When in truth, it's them that join the cult called. Do you know the biggest cult of backsliding fake Christians? It's called the cult of the unteachable. That's the biggest cult. We're in the cult of the unteachable. They all find each other. They don't even need to like each other. They just have a common hate. I used to go there as well. You go there, I tell me what to do. No tell me what to do Here, How's life brilliant? Right, okay, well, we'll have a wee look in the mirror in six weeks. We'll see what it is. Falling apart. That's how they define cult. It's the unteachable. This is what Paul's saying. It's your unteachableness. It's your no holding fast to the word that's creating the division. See if you're a serial comparer. Which we can be. See if you're a serial victim who always feels out the loop. Try pursuing the same thing as them that you feel out the loop with. Try that. That's that. That would maybe help. I feel out the loop. Why don't you? Why don't you pursue what they're pursuing and get in the loop? Nah. No pursuing. Uh, I want them to step outside what they're pursuing to satisfy me, and that's what the that's so that's what the church does. They're no happy. Who's no happy? That couple that's came, they're no happy. They want to they want to change the gospel. They said that's they're not happy. This is what happens. All right. What do you want to do? I will change the message and we'll step outside the word to make them feel as if they belong. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. Yeah. That's that. We'll just step outside the world and we'll make you see. See if we today that's in this church, no, people would leave us church. People would leave us church. True believers would leave us church. And the reason they'd leave the church is like, you're not preaching the word anywhere, Pastor. You're not preaching the word anywhere, you're preaching another gospel to please them. You go, I can't sit under this anymore, I can only sit under the word. My sheep hear my voice and what? Well, hear no other. And if you feel like the loop. Just just feel a bit isolated. Deal with them who are in the loop again. Do you feel in the loop? Try not being so offended by the same truth that they're defending. I'm offended when you said that, well that's what's uniting us. What offends you is uniting us. (laughs) This is why unbelievers will never feel as if they belong in church. Okay. Now this is a modern church statement. You need to believe. You need to belong to believe. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. You need to belong to believe. See if you're in a church that's preaching the gospel, you'll never feel as if you belong if you don't believe. We will have to change the gospel to suit your lack of believing for you to feel part of it. So what happens in here, what was happening in Corinthians, what's happening in the modern churches, is they change the message of salvation, they change the believing message, they change the gospel message to make the the seeker friendly. It's neither seeker nor friendly. (laughs) Think about it. There's nothing seeker friendly about that. It's seeker unfriendly. Because we change the message to suit what makes them feel comfortable. And then they respond to a false gospel. I get saved today, I put my hand up, I get saved and I get saved into a false gospel. And that's where division all starts. Everybody is out the loop. Who does not fit in and submit themselves to the word of God. they will always feel out the loop. See, even in times as I believe, you go, oh, I just feel a wee bit isolated, a wee bit out the loop. You'll guarantee that your devotional life has slipped. Guaranteed. And as they go further and further away from the truth, they become more warped in how they hear things. That's why we have the statement as either. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, men. Do you know what, you know, Callum used to be called Mark's henchman. It's pathetic, isn't it? It's actually sad. He's Mark's henchman as if I was the mafia. I mean, I couldn't handle it. Callum would step in. I don't need Callum to step into nothing. But anyway, Callum would step in. And sometimes Vicky, you know, because Mark's a full grown man, but needed a five foot woman to go and fight his battles, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy. Aye, aye, she just steps in. That's it. See, I, I, because you'll just send his yes, men. All Christ's saved saints are yes men it's the greatest yes that you've ever had in your life it's no men that are nomads it's the nomads they're always skipping about and jumping about with serious submission problems correct them that follow Christ are all yes people They say yes to the word. And that's what makes them able to say no to the flesh. That's how they're free. And them that refuse to be yes men are not. It's their yes that makes them free. You will know the what? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth of what? The truth of the word. It's your no that's judgmental and unloving, no you're yes. When they complain or write a rant, you're in that position, this is how they never start the letter, okay? Oh, this is, maybe maybe when I'm coming to the near the end of my death, I'll, I wouldn't do it. I, I could maybe have an anonymous no put their name at the bottom of it, the top of it. Go, here's the letters. This is what the letter never starts with, okay? And we need to bring this in. We really need to close. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ. They never start the letter that way. It's just it's believers that start the letter that up. Because there's a common love. It always seems that it's the name in Christ that have that spirit towards one another. As we close, note that Paul mentions here, and this is as a close. How many times Paul mentions Jesus Christ in the first nine verses? Nine times. He mentions Jesus Christ nine times in the first nine verses. Because that's what we're all joined in. That's what brings them all together, and that's whom they hold in common. That Christ died for them and saved them and will sustain them. Only in Christ are we blameless? Only in Christ is our guilt on him. Verse 8, Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's in him and it's by his sanctifying work that we stop living a life that is worthy of no being blamed. Do I all day things that I deserve blame for? Absolutely. I still do things that's on me, absolutely. But it's only in Christ that I'm becoming more and more blameless. I do lots of things that's deserving of blame. As far as rejecting Christ and sin goes. But he who is saved us by his grace, will work in us to make us more ready for our union with him. And fellowship with him. And that's part of our work on earth. You know. You're prepared to be a bit better when you meet him. hopefully by the time you meet him you'll be a bit better now people could say people could turn around and say well what about the FIFA on the cross he was hardly ready true true ready enough if you can't fellowship with Christ more now than when you were first saved then you're not putting off the old man the close here is Paul's opening words in prayer is beautiful God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Truly, if we indeed are saved, this is some comfort, this. We talked about this in the prayer meeting two weeks ago, thank goodness for God's long suffering. Truly, if we indeed are saved, he that had the power alone to save also has the power to bring our life to completion. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.